into our message this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2. The verses will be there on your screen as well if you don't have a Bible or if you just want to follow along with the verses here. And we have been on Acts in, in the book of Acts on Sunday morning. And today we continue and we're picking it up in the absolute perfect place for Resurrection Sunday. We know that Peter here in Acts 2, listen, he's preaching the first sermon in the New Testament church that had just been birthed through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Lord's death, and then 47 days after or so after his resurrection. And Peter, after giving an explanation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, taking them to the prophet Joel, who prophesied hundreds of years earlier that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Then he goes to speak about the Lord's death and resurrection, pointing them to more scripture and really showing them that there is a call to call upon Christ Jesus for salvation, that in him and him alone, salvation is obtained. So this morning, we're going to look at those truths and the call to salvation. And again, we're going to consider our Lord's death, why he died on the cross, and his resurrection, and the absolute fact that whoever calls upon the Lord and asks Jesus to be their Savior, indeed, they are born again. And we'll talk about what that means. So here in Acts 2, we're going to start in verse 22 and get down, Lord willing, to verse 39. And let's start by just reading verse 22 through 24, and then we'll dive into our message. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know also, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pain of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now again, let's remember what's going on. It's the day of Pentecost. It's one of three feasts that the men of Israel were to observe by going to Jerusalem and worshiping God once a year. The first was the Feast of Passover, the second being the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of First Fruits. And then later in the year, it would be the Feast of Booths or in gathering, and they were required to gather. So many men were there from all over, really, the world, as the Jews had been dispersed, and though a remnant had come back, many still were dispersed, and they came back speaking the languages that they had learned in those lands where they were born, and yet they were gathered there. It says devout men that were gathered there to worship God. And there, again, the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the church. Remember, God gave these men and women from Galilee Uh, tongues, the gift of tongues, where on that day in particular, it was a gift given so that they would declare the wonders of God in all the various languages that were represented there. And of course, those gathered there, as they heard that, they were amazed. It says they marveled. Some even mocked. And they said, are they drunk with wine? And remember, Peter had said, listen, it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk with wine. And then he said, this is what happened or what was prophesied by the prophet Joel to happen. And this is according to the scripture, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out, that the young men and the women would prophesy, that uh, they would give glory to God. And indeed, he was saying, this is what's happening. And then from there, again, we pick it up in verse 22, and he preaches the gospel to him. And notice how he starts it. Again, men of Israel, and then he says, hear these words. And he's about to share the gospel with them. 
He's about to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And listen, this is the most important message that can be proclaimed to this day. And as he's saying here, hear these words. Listen, he's putting an emphasis. You need to hear these things. These are words of salvation, words of restoration, forgiveness, redemption, eternal life, and abundant life. Only found through Jesus Christ who himself declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And listen, as Peter declared on that word, hear these words, we need to hear these words today. Listen, especially if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to hear these words today that we are looking at in the scriptures. And I can't encourage you enough. Listen, do not harden your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not ignore the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not put off the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that our time here is very short on earth, that it's as a vapor or as a shadow that just comes and goes. And while we're here, our soul, listen, it hangs in the balance. Remember, Jesus has said, what's a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We also know in scripture, listen, we're not promised tomorrow. And this is why there's the declaration in 2 Corinthians 6.2. It says, for he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And listen, the Lord has given us this day. It's the day that he has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. And we need to know that now is the time. And today is the day of salvation. And listen, the condition of our world today should be a wake-up call to all of us. And the body of Christ to be found about his business to be not burying the gifts that he has given to us, but exercising them and being a people of worship and a people of the gospel and a people of Christian fellowship and so forth. And it should also be a wake-up call to the unbeliever that, again, our lives can be disrupted and our lives can even come to an end at any time. And the Lord has wanted to get people's attention. He hasn't just disrupted our daily routines just to inconvenience us but to get men to look up, to consider their latter end, and consider the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, as Peter says, hear these words, the first word out of his mouth in this first sermon preached after he says, hear these words, listen, it's a powerful word. He says, Jesus. Jesus, the name above all names, the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess is Lord. Listen, it's the name that always gets a reaction. It moves men to praise or it moves them to curse. And it's the only name by which we can be saved. Acts 4.12, speaking of Christ, it says, nor is there salvation in the other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he says, Jesus, and then he says, of Nazareth, the man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're familiar with. Nazareth was just there in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus there in the northern part, and many times as well in Jerusalem, and more of the southern part of Israel, had absolutely done signs and wonders and miracles in their midst, was absolutely attested by or 
absolutely was bore witness by the Father, God, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. And day after day in his earthly ministry, again, from the Father's verbal endorsement, when he said there, beyond the Jordan where they were baptizing, or beyond out there in the wilderness, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased, to Jesus healing the sick, Jesus freeing the demonized, lepers being cleansed, the hungry fed, uh, the dead raised, the gospel proclaimed in power over and over and over again, those signs bore witness that Jesus was the Messiah. So Peter's pointing them to that. He says, you know Jesus, you know what he's done. And then he begins to bring explanation of his death and resurrection. He says there in verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And he's declaring here that Jesus Christ came into this world to be delivered up to death according to the will of the Father, that God said it would happen this way. And he told us through the scriptures, the Messiah, when he came, he would die for our sins. So when the Messiah came, we would know who the Messiah was, and we would know why he would die. And in fact, in the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, there's even more detail given about the Lord's death than you even find in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you see the fulfillment. In the Old Testament, you see many details about his death, as well about his resurrection, which we'll look at in a moment. But consider Psalm 22. This is David, hundreds of years earlier, as the Holy Spirit moved upon him, prophesying about how Jesus would die. In Psalm twenty-two, fourteen, again, speaking of Christ, it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death, to, to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And this is an exact description of Christ upon the cross. As they took the cross and they bear, first they nailed him on, piercing his hands and his feet. And then they would take the cross up and they would drop it into a hole where those being crucified, their bones would go out of joint. And yet not one of his bones was broken. For when they came to try to kill him, as the Jews would want him off the cross on that day before the Sabbath, they would find he would already pass. So they wouldn't break his bones as prophesied, but they would pierce his side and water and blood would come out, just as was prophesied early by David. Also, as his tongue would cling to his mouth, we see his thirst there upon the cross as he was surrounded by the congregation of those hurling blasphemy and insults on him. This was all prophesied before, and Peter here is pointing the people to the scriptures. He's saying what Jesus did there, determined to death, was prophesied beforehand through the knowledge of God revealed to us through the scriptures. You also find these prophecies in the book of Isaiah. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, but on Isaiah 53, 7, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and his sheep before the shearers of silence, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. 
And who, and who will de- declare to his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. And so it speaks there again of him being like a lamb to the slaughter. Where a lamb can't say anything. And we know Jesus was very few in his words as he went to the cross. We also again know that he was cut off. And then Jesus himself prophesied of these things. Jesus came knowing that, knowing that he would die. Knowing as well, again, that he would be resurrected, but he came knowing that he was going to lay down his life. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 2, and this was right before as they were there in Passion Week. He said, you yourselves, uh, you know that after two days is Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And so it was determined by the Father. It was written in the scriptures as the Holy Spirit moved upon the prophets and Jesus himself knew that he was going to be crucified, that his life would be laid down. And this is where we should ask the question, why? Why is this the case? Many have said, what loving father would do such a thing to their son? And listen, the answer is a loving God who loves you to make the way for us to be forgiven, to make the way of salvation for any and all who would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. This is prophesied as well in the scriptures They're back again in Isaiah 53, starting at verse 4. We read why Jesus laid down his life. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Notice here, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. For by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So thereupon Jesus was laid the wrath due us because of our sin, because of our transgression that has separated us from the holy God. From God that's not going to bring rebellion into communion with them. God who's not going to bring rebellion into heaven. Sin that's brought death upon man. Jesus came to die for our sins. And then as we'll see, to conquer sin and death when he would resurrect from the grave. Jesus put it this way in John three sixteen through 18. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe? If you do, say amen, even right now. So we see again, the Father sent his Son into the world to live a sinless life, to bear the wrath due sinners, and to make the only way of salvation, restoration, and to make the only way to have a true relationship with God Almighty for sinners. And listen, there's some bad news in the midst of this good news, and that's what makes the good news good news. Otherwise, it's all just news. We are sinners. And listen, with our sin comes condemnation and wrath from a just judge. It cuts us off from relationship with God. It's sin that brings death. It's rebellion against God, again, who is holy. And God's not going to bring that into glory. No more than if someone showed up to your house with an infection that would spread to your whole family. 
you wouldn't allow them to come in. Hopefully, you would want to make a way to help treat them, but you wouldn't bring that in to infect your home. And the Lord's not going to bring sin into glory to infect heaven and eternity with him. And listen, this sin issue, it started from the beginning. It started in the garden. God made man in his likeness and image. Then he made woman from the side of man. And he gave him one commandment. He put him in a place of paradise, and he told him, you can eat of any tree in this garden, but the day you eat of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And we know how the account goes. The serpent came along, Satan, who had already fallen, and he tempted man, and he lied about God, and he lied about the word of God. And he said, listen, God knows if you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. If you eat of that tree, God knows that you'll be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of the tree. He made God out to be the villain. He's a liar and the father of lies. And man, consider that. And then lust began to set in. And before you know it, the woman and the man had eaten of the tree. And listen, God, true to his word, what he prophesied came true. Death set in that day. The world came under a curse. Viruses were let loose and so forth. Thorn and thistle came to the ground. Women began to have pain in childbirth. Absolutely, Adam and Eve began to have marital issues. Physical death set in, spiritual death set in, and that man was separated from God. And yet right after that, God gave the first promise of Jesus. He told the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, or he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking about Christ who would come through the virgin, which we'll talk more about here in a minute, that he would come and though the serpent would bruise his heel, the Savior would bruise or crush his head. And that's what he did at the cross. So listen, sin started in the garden, but it didn't stay in the garden. It spread. And all of us as descendants of Adam and Eve are born with that sin nature that they took on when they rebelled against God. But we don't have just to look at that. We can look at our own lives. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And some may step back and say, well, I've never sinned. I'm not a sinner. There are a few that actually say that. And this is where God gave us the law to show us that we're sinners. He gave the Ten Commandments to bring a conviction on us that we're sinners and to show us that we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need an intercessor. Galatians 3.24 says, therefore the law was our tutor or our teacher to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And not just faith in anything, but faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the law of God, the Ten Commandments, shows us that we are sinners. This is why the enemy of our soul desperately wants to get rid of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't want that in the courthouse. He doesn't want that in the schoolhouse. He doesn't want the Ten Commandments in your home. He would love to wipe our culture of the Ten Commandments because those things, those commandments, they're a tutor or a teacher that shows us we need a Savior. And let's consider them quickly here, the Ten Commandments, because as we look at them, we see that we've transgressed God's law. The first is, you shall have no other God before me. And that means anything that comes in our life before God, any passion before God. And all of us at times have had passions that we put before God Almighty. It says, next, you should make no idols, that we shouldn't worship the works of our hands, that we shouldn't worship 
creation, but instead the creator, that we shouldn't worship the blessings, but instead the blesser. And we've all been guilty of setting up idols before. It says, next, you shall not take the the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. It means that you don't speak of God without reverence. And yet all of us, again, whether it's been cursing God, hitting our thumb with a hammer, or just, you know what, a praise the Lord without reverence, just saying it flippantly or without any meaning. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. He says, next, keep the Sabbath day holy. And under the old covenant, it was absolutely not working on the Sabbath. Under the new covenant, it's trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior who has made the way for rest. And before we came to Christ, we were transgressors of the Sabbath because we had not put our faith in Jesus, the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Next, he says, honor your father and mother. We can just ask the parents and they will bear witness. We haven't done that all the time. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And some would sit back. I've never done either of those. And yet Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, it's as murder. If you lust in your heart, it is as adultery. He says, you shall not steal. And he doesn't say except little things. And we've all stolen from others before. How many times have we stolen the glory due someone else or the glory due God? We've tried to take it for ourselves. It goes far beyond just pocketing something in a store. He says, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. So you shouldn't lie to others. You shouldn't bring a false accusation or slander that's not true against others. And he says, you should not covenant. covet. You should not want what others have. And we transgress these things. And maybe you say, well, I've only transgressed one of those things. The Bible says if you break one point of the law, you break the whole law. Adam sinned one sin, and it separated him from God Almighty, who was holy. You see, no sin is going into glory. Any sin, one sin brings death, and God is not bringing death. God is not bringing rebellion into glory. And this is why the Father sent his Son to live a sinless life that we couldn't live to die on the cross and take the wrath to us because God's a just judge. And so justice had to be served. And so he says, Father, put the justice that is due them upon me. The wrath due them, put it upon me. The wages of sin is death, put it upon me and let me die in their place. And sadly, it says here in the text that again, lawless hands have crucified him and put him to death. And that wasn't just the hands of the Jews there, the hand of the Romans. That was my hands and your hands and our hands. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So again, Jesus' hands were stretched out and pierced for our lawless hands that have transgressed God's law. Why? so that we might become righteous with God, so that we might be able to have right standing with God that we don't have in our sin and our rebellion left there unforgiven. And yet Jesus has made that way. Notice verse 24. It says, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It wasn't possible for death to hold Jesus. Now listen, if Jesus had just died and didn't resurrect, we would have no Savior at all. It's not just about his death, it's also about his resurrection. If he's still buried and still in a tomb, then we are foolish individuals. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. 
In chapter 15, verse 13, he said, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith also is empty. Yes, and we have been found false witnesses. We're a fraud. This is a sham this morning of Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, Paul says. It says, because we have testified that God has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says this is a pathetic thing. We're a bunch of frauds if Christ has not risen from the grave. And yet the scriptures declared that Christ would rise. And indeed, we know that he is risen. He has risen this morning. Can you say he is risen indeed? And listen, he rose because death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him because Jesus Christ was without sin. Now listen, if we die in our sin... Without trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior, death does hold us. The second death takes hold of us. Again, we have life and this life, and then we're all going to die. And we either are going to die unto eternal life in Christ or unto eternal death that the Bible describes as a place of torment where, again, you're alive, but you're really not in that you're under wrath. You're under separation from others. Revelation 20 verse 14 says, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And listen, that's bad news. Sin is bad news. Judgment is bad news. Hell is bad news. But the good news is Christ. The good news is the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, when we call in his name and genuinely entrust in him to be our Lord and our Savior. We become disciples of Jesus. Revelation 2.11 says this, he who has an ear. I remember Peter said, men of Israel, listen, listen to these words. It says there in Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And he who hears what the Spirit says, that Christ died, that Christ rose, that if you call on his name, you'll be, you'll be saved. Those who hear and humble their hearts, they return from their sin, and they ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now listen, death won't be able to hold us, just as it cannot hold Christ, as the Spirit said would be the case in the Scriptures. And this is where next Peter takes them to Psalm 16, Verse 8 through 11, and that's what he quotes next. Verse 25, he says, for David says concerning him. So Peter says back in the Psalms, hundreds of years earlier, David prophesied about Jesus. And then he reads these verses here out of Psalm that he says are not about David, but they're about Jesus Christ. It says here, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. For you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now listen, there's a minor truth here about David. 
and that David was a man of God. David was a man that walked with the Lord. Indeed, eventually David would be resurrected from, you know what, Abraham's bosom into heaven, and eventually his body will be resurrected, as is true for all of us. But Jesus had to be resurrected first so his faith could be fulfilled. And so in a way, it's about David, but more so it's about Jesus, who knew the ways of life, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and who rejoiced in the Father's presence, indeed, bringing him joy. And I rejoice in that this morning, that no matter where I'm restricted to going in this life, the presence of the Lord as a follower of Christ is always with me, and he's always with you. And listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus when we put our trust in Christ Jesus. So again, Peter quotes David out of the Psalms, and then he gives explanation, starting in verse 29. He says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you, that the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he has foreseen this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, that Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. So he says, this is about the Lord. And he says, let me tell you plainly. Let's break this down. He says, David's dead. David's buried. David's tomb is down the street. We know this isn't talking about David. These verses are speaking about Christ. Again, it was prophesied the Messiah would come from the lineage or the genealogy of David. Mary was a descendant of David, the Lord's earthly mother, as well as his adopted father, Joseph, was a descendant of David. And listen, if Israel was in a place that day where they had kings, Jesus would have been the king. Practically, he was the heir to the throne. That's how we know Jesus is the son of man. He came as a man And yet he was also the son of God and is the son of God as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and conceived Christ in her womb. So Jesus would be born the son of God without a sin nature and yet as a man who could die for sinners. And Peter is saying this is all about Christ, the Messiah, who would be raised to sit on the throne at the right hand of the Father, whose soul would not be left in Hades, whose body would not be would not see corruption. It would not stay in the grave. But instead, the Lord would descend. He would leave captivity captive, those that had faith in the coming Savior. He would bring them into glory. And then Jesus' body would actually physically resurrect, and eventually he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. And so he's pointing them to these things, and then he points them to the fact that, again, they were witnesses of Christ doing this. And this is so important in this. Men saw the resurrected Christ. We recently went through the book of John, and we spent a lot of time looking at these witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks specifically about all those who saw the resurrected Christ. There in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it says, as he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, 
then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the, all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. And so it wasn't just one person that saw Christ or two that think they might have saw Christ, but at one time, over 500 saw the Lord and bore witness to this. And you got to understand, every credible legal system in the history of mankind, it's based on eyewitness account. They get this from God, who says, let everything be established by two or three witnesses. That is the main thing of any legal system. Is there a witness to these things? Is there anyone that can say, I saw this? And if there's two or three, and if they're credible witnesses, that is a testimony that prevails in a court of law. And listen, these men were credible witnesses, and that so many of them died for their faith. So many of them were persecuted for their faith. And before Christ died and rose, we know during his death, they fled like cowards. And yet afterwards, they were men emboldened with the Spirit of God, willing to be persecuted, willing to lay down their life. Who's going to die for a lie? These men were living for the truth. Even secular historians bore witness to the resurrected Christ. Do you know that this morning? That outside of the scripture, there's historians that weren't Christians that bore witness to the resurrected Christ. One being Josephus, a first century historian. He wrote in his account, you know, in the historical accounts he put together, it says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he brought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. So Josephus, a secular historian, says, yes, there's the Christ. He was a man, but can you really call him a man? And he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. And by the way, the Christians, they haven't disappeared. They're still there. In fact, they're flourishing, the book of Acts tells us. And it's a prophecy fulfilled again by Christ, who said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You know that's still true today? Absolutely it is. Also next year, verse 33, Peter says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the Father... Uh, from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you have seen and heard. So again, he's going back to the beginning of his message now and what happened that day on Pentecost. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. Christ is resurrected from the grave, and now according to the prophet, of Joel, the prophet Joel, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. You heard tongues. You heard the wonder thing, wonderful things of God being declared. This is what the Bible said would happen in the last days after the resurrection of Christ. And then he says again, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies uh, your footstool. And so he said, David, David's still in the grave, but Christ rose and Christ has ascended. And he's now at the right hand of the Father as prophesied by Scripture. He's saying all of this was told to us beforehand that it would happen, and it's happened just as God said beforehand how it would happen. We are all witnesses of this. You're witnesses of the works of the Lord. We're witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord. 
And then he says, you're going to be at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He's victorious. And listen, soon he'll put all his enemies under his footstool. Devils as well as men in rebellion that don't want to yield to him. And some step back and they say, well, why don't you just do that now, Lord? You know why he doesn't just do it now? Because he's long-suffering. Because he's not wanting any to perish. Because he wants to give ample time and opportunity for men to humble their heart, to go from being enemies of God to being friends of God through faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you called on his name? Verse 36, then Peter declared, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So again, Peter took them to the scriptures. Peter didn't preach himself. Peter didn't get up there just to entertain them on that day. Peter took them to the scriptures. The prophet Joel, he took him to the Psalms, and then he took him to the truth that Jesus Christ had fulfilled those scriptures, that Jesus had lived a sinless life, that Jesus had laid down his life according to the scriptures, and now that he had risen from the grave, he had told them earlier when he quoted Joe that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And upon hearing all of these things, we read in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart at the preaching of the gospel as Peter got up and he preached with prophetic utterance. And we talked about that last week, the need for us to be able to share the gospel with prophetic utterance or with power. And he had preached with power, not his power. It wasn't his loud voice or his actions, but it was the Holy Spirit empowering that message that cut people's hearts. And I would hope this morning as you're hearing this word that you're being cut to the heart and recognizing your need for Jesus Christ if you don't know him. And if you know him, your need to daily walk with him. And listen, they asked the best question possible when they were cut to the heart. They didn't say, how can we get out of here? But they said, what should we do? What should we do? How do we respond to this message? What are we supposed to do with these things? And in verse 38, it says, Peter said to them, repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The first thing he says is to repent. And what repentance is, it's a turning. It's turning from having faith in yourself, doing what's right in your own eyes, being your own Lord as Adam chose there in the garden to be his own Lord. But now say, I eat of that tree, I'll be my own God. It's turning from that. It's recognizing I'm a sinner. It's recognizing my way is not the right way. It's recognizing I am not called to do what's right in my own eyes. And it's a recognition that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus died for my sins. He rose from the grave. And it's not just saying a prayer and going back to my own way. It's asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and saying, Lord, I I want you to be my Lord. My God, I want you to govern my life. I want to follow after you. Repentance and faith in the Lord, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. It's putting faith in Christ. It's believing in him or entrusting your life to him. Again, 
We read it, but I want to read it again. John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That believing in him is the repentance spoken of here. It's believing in him to be your Lord. It's turning from trusting in yourself and following the dictates of your heart to say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And again, for God said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We are already condemned under our sin. But that the world through him might be saved. And then he makes it real simple. He who believes in him is not condemned But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He has not trusted in Christ to be his Lord and Savior. So he says, repent, believe. And then he says, let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, does that mean I'm saved through water baptism? No. The Bible says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That we're not saved by our good works. But it does say in Ephesians, again, 8 through 10, that we're saved under good works. And so it says, believe, repent, and then go and be baptized. Let everyone know your faith is real. Begin to walk in the commandments of God as followers of the Lord. And then you'll receive, again, the Spirit of God upon believing and absolutely upon serving the Lord, there is a fresh filling and empowerment of the Spirit of God that he wants to pour out every day in your life that is documented throughout the book of Acts. And don't let anyone tell you anything different. Go read Acts 2. They'd already been sealed with the Spirit as we talked about. And now they're baptized or empowered with the Spirit. And then in Acts 4, the same group of people, it says they're filled again with the Spirit of God. They're empowered again. It's a daily thing. I'm sealed with the Spirit upon faith. He'll never leave me, and yet he wants to empower me every single day. And then he says here, in closing, for this promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't say, this is just for you guys, exclusive, good thing you were here today. But he said, this is for you, and this is a message for you to take home to your children, And think about this day, how these men would leave with the gospel of Christ and immediately it would begin to spread. And then he says, it's for those that are far off, no doubt geographically as well as in time. And then for as many who will call upon the Lord, this message is for us today. We were very far off, and yet today the Lord stands there at the right hand of the Father with his arms open saying, whoever will call upon my name will be saved. He stands ready to wash to cleanse, to forgive, to restore, to meet you where you're at? Have you called upon his name? If you have, then say amen. Say thank you, Jesus. Say yes, he has risen indeed. And if you haven't, it's time to call on him now. And as we close this morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And again, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's faith in Christ that saves you. But I want to lead you in a simple prayer of calling upon the name of Jesus. And then we'll close with one last worship song and just with a final word of encouragement and uh, we'll go forward from there. So let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we just praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We thank you, Father, for sending your son. And Jesus, we thank you that you came according to the scriptures. We thank you that you lived a sinless life. We thank you that you died for sinners upon the cross. We thank you that 
you were buried and yet death couldn't hold you. And Lord, we rejoice in your resurrection today where you defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. And that you have made the way today for whoever and any who would call upon the name of Christ in sincerity and truth to be saved. Oh, Lord, God, I pray you bless those who have called upon your name this day. Encourage them in the faith. I hope and pray their faith has been built through the scriptures this morning even more. And those that don't know you, God, I know even right now you're so desiring to write their name in the book of life, to have relationship with them. And listen, if that's you and you're saying, Steve, I want to call upon Christ. I know I'm not promised tomorrow. I want to call on him today. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want to invite you to pray with me. Just a prayer confirming where your heart is. Just pray with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need to be forgiven. I know I need to be made right with you. And Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. That you rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And I believe this morning that you are Lord. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to be my Lord to be my savior, to forgive me, to wash me, to restore my relationship with you that was cut off from sin. Shine your face upon me, Lord. Be my savior, my God, my Lord. Be my friend. Lord, we want to pray your blessing this morning and even in the days to come, Lord, for all who have prayed this prayer. We pray, God, that you would meet them where they are. Lord, we pray even right now, God, that you'd seal them with your spirit and fill them, God, and shine your face upon them and begin a great work in their life, God. We just thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we want to finish well in worshiping you. And I just would hope and pray, God, that all that are watching would even, even stand up right now and we can lift our hands and praising our God and giving you glory. We just thank you that you are so good. We love you, Lord. Let's worship him right now. Forever. Jesus. 
blessing to worship the Lord together this morning. We praise God that indeed he is our risen Lord. And just want to remind you from 11 to 1, uh, it's Sunday morning here from 11 to 1, so starting about 45 minutes or so, we're going to have our parking lot open for drive through prayer, for uh, just encouragement. We're going to have gift bags for the kids, so I encourage you to come by if you need a Bible this morning. Maybe you pray today to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You need a Bible. Well, I want to bless you with the Bible, and so encourage you to come by, encourage you to be in prayer, and absolutely continue to rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you this morning, and I just pray to shine his face upon you in a great way. <laughs> 